Hey, Bob. What's your name? Where are you? You can talk. What'd you do, Bobby boy? Travel through time? Did you review a classic movie? My name's not Bob. Not a prop, Bob. Where'd they send you? Where are you? Another cell, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? What's that supposed to mean? Maybe means maybe. Maybe I'm in the next cell, another reviewer like you, or maybe I'm recording a movie review podcast with your co-host, or hey, maybe I'm not even here. Maybe I'm just in your head. (laughs) Where'd they send you? 1995, to review the classic sci-fi movie, 12 Monkeys. 1995, how was it? Good drugs? Lots of pussy. Hey, Bob, you do the job? Did you find out if the movie lived up to its reputation? It was supposed to be 1999. I was supposed to be reviewing Eyes Wide Shut! Science isn't an exact science with your co-host. You're lucky you didn't end up in uh, the 1960 reviewing a Jerry Lewis movie. Oh, God, can that happen? Anything is possible, Bob. You won't think I'm crazy when people start dying next month. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, right, Steve? I think so, yeah. I think it's it's held up pretty well over the years. It still has a good reputation. But the only reason we're reviewing it is because it's my birthday movie, right, Steve? That's right. This is this is your birthday show. Happy birthday, buddy. Thank you, because I don't know if this qualifies as technically a classic, even though someone foolishly apparently made a TV series out of it that's in its fourth season? Yeah. <laughs> Where have I been? <laughs> Hey, Steve, what movie are we going to review for my birthday? Oh, boy, we are going to review that classic 1995 time travel, surrealistic, science fiction, epic, kind of 12 monkeys. Did you see, uh... Kinda? Epic, kinda. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you know, there's epic. Right. Is it really epic? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it's One definitely second, I'm surreal. Receiving, yeah, I'm receiving a call from help. One se- for help. One second. Oh, oh, okay. We'll keep recording. Okay, no problem. There he goes. You notice how he had the Freudian slip? First he said, I'm receiving a call from hell. And then he said, I'm receiving a call from hell for help. See, he had to correct it. But the first one was the truth. I'm sure that's not true, actually. I just think personally that it's unprofessional that he, you know, that he leaves the microphone during the recording. I I would never, I would never do that. I just don't think that's professional. You know, I mean, there's a certain standard that must be upheld. I feel maybe I'm alone on this. Once you start the show that you, you follow it through. It's taking liberties to just get up out of the chair in the middle of the recording. Not that I have have a problem with it personally i don't it's just the principle of the thing you know that's all i'm saying it's that's 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 been the only thing i've ever cared about since i started doing this show just the principle that's all i'm saying anyway there's nothing i like better than cutting out whole spots of the show is everything okay everything's fine okay everythingything's fine where okay. do we leave off jeez louise get out of my business <laughs> I think I had just said the title, and we had just talked about how it has a good reputation. Oh, no, I said sci-fi epic, maybe, and then you were like... Are you sure you didn't say that you loved it and you're not going to fight with Jason during the show? 
I didn't say that. Fine, then get to the trivia. What wow. is the trivia that wow. you have for this show? So, such bitterness, you know. Whatever. I'm being on, bitter about something that I actually don't know the answer to. On, so. your, on your birthday <coughs> show of all times. On my birthday show, yes. So, trivia. Terry Gilliam took away Brad Pitt's cigarettes. <laughs> That's how he got... I'm sorry, during this movie or just dur- as a just random attack? Permanently, just permanently. A couple of years ago <laughs> he's on had, the street. He's had, <laughs> Brad Pitt was coming out of, a, of, out of a restaurant and Terry Gilliam ran up, pushed him into a wall, rifled through his pockets, found his cigarettes, took them away and dashed off down the street. Why uh, did no. Terry Gilliam take his cigarettes? He he took away Brad Pitt's cigarettes during production b- to help Brad Pitt achieve his twitchy, nervous performance. Um, because I guess he thought, well, he can't act, so I'll take away his cigarettes. He didn't think that. <laughs> no, I know he didn't. He I know he didn't. But that was that. He actually there was something. Uh, there, my second bit of trivia is related to that. So for Brad Pitt to sort of help Brad Pitt get to where he needed to be to give his performance, he took away his cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And with Bruce Willis, Terry Gilliam made a list of Bruce Willis acting cliches. Mm-hmm. And gave it to Bruce Willis and said, "You're not allowed to do any of this." And <laughs> Bruce Willis time. said, "You got it." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and gave perhaps the best performance of his career, but yeah, probably, you know, yeah. maybe maybe a coincidence. Um, <laughs> but and and one of the things was he couldn't do the Bruce Willis look, you know, like the sort nope. of narrow-eyed, steely, like tough guy look. He, he wasn't allowed to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and also most of the major actors in the film, including Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, worked for less pay than usual because yep. because they really wanted to work with Terry Gilliam and mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Willis in particular wasn't actually paid anything until after the movie was released. So mm-hmm. he got paid eventually, but during the actual shooting of the movie, he, he was working for free. He was working for free. Um, yeah, and then Terry Gilliam was like, "And you can't do the look." <laughs> And he was like, oh, okay. Well, that's the reason why Willis wanted to work on the movie. Right. Because no one else was giving him any other parts other than, you know, yeah. die hard. Do the die hard dives. guy again, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do the Be die the hard tough guy. guy again. Be the die hard guy again. And even the die hard guy isn't the die hard guy. No, it's like a car- it's, it's a caricature of the <laughs> die hard guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> last piece of trivia. So uh, you, I'm sure you know this, Jason, as a, a big fan of the man's work, but Terry Gilliam is reputed to be a bit of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a brief shot in this movie. It's after Bruce Willis's character has come back from his first... Actually, no, it's not. It's before the first time travel thing, but it's when he's come back from his, his excursion to the surface. Um, and he's drawing his blood. Mm-hmm. And that shot, which is like a couple seconds, uh, took an entire day to shoot mm-hmm. because there's a hamster wheel in the background of the shot. And the hamster was not moving the way Terry Gilliam wanted the hamster to move. Yeah. So it took all day to get that just right. Um, so that's one example of Terry Gilliam being a perfectionist. But my favorite example of Terry Gilliam being a perfectionist is after the movie was over, he expressed disappointment in the performance of the child actor who plays the young version of Bruce Willis's character, <laughs> explaining that the actor who does nothing but stare silently in all of his scenes, for a few of them, yeah, lacked a sense of wonder. <laughs> 
he's like, sure. So I just, I, that, I, there's something, I don't know. There's, there's something like kind of charming about that is like that the guy is such no. a perfectionist that he looks this kid who is, has maybe a minute of cumulative screen time. I mean, he has like, he has some important shots. He has like the last shot of the movie is on the kid's face. And but, the like, first one. But so, I mean, it's, it's on not, his face, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's not like he's not important, but you know, you add up all of the shots of the kid, you got maybe a minute, two minutes in the entire movie. Sure. And Terry Gilliam's like, I wish that kid had been better. <laughs> yeah. Know? So. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You know the symbolism for the hamster wheel, right? Oh, well, I assume it's you know ties in with you know, like the the one of the major themes of the movie of you know the circular you, nature of yeah. the of the story. You can't escape from yeah. yeah yeah. You're just running in place. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. even the main symbol for the twelve monkeys is also a circle. Yeah. And they're all going in the same direction, and you know it's it's uh, tying in the theme. So you back the fuck off, I Terry thought... Gilliam, for wanting to get that hamster wheel, Mister <laughs> Nine Thousand Take Kubrick. I thought the cir- I thought the circle in the twelve monkeys logo was like the barrel of monkeys seen from the top. Oh, good for you. Anyway, you ready to find out who made it, Steve? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, it stars. Oh no, let's uh, yeah, let's just over, <laughs> jump over the director. It's directed. It's directed by Terry Gilliam, and you know him. He's directed Time Bandits and Brazil and Zero Theorem and The Fisher King. And uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which I still haven't seen yet, which I do want to see, and a whole bunch of other movies, right? Yeah, some boy. Of the, yeah. some, of the, some of the Monty Python movies, and he's known to be difficult, and he's known to go over budget. Those are the two things that he's known for, according to the piece of shit movie industry that we have in this country. <laughs> I was going to say, he's also made some good movies. He's made some really <laughs> I mean, good movies. There's, other, there's things other than he's really difficult. <laughs> And he goes over, but like the movies are kind of good usually too. Like <laughs> someone said this, and I kind of agree. He he wants to make European films, and he he really dislikes the movie industry. He mm-hmm. really does not like being, at you know, as he became because. He made The Fisher King, and that was successful. And that was the first time that he had ever directed something that he didn't write, but mm-hmm. he really liked the script. That became very successful. Then he made this, which was also, he was a, it was a work for hire. They hired him to direct it. He liked the script. He made the movie into a Terry Gilliam movie, and that was also successful. There were a couple of things in there that helped out. Number one, when they hired Brad Pitt, he wasn't the megastar. And right. prior to this movie being released... What came out? Like seven and I think seven um, came out the same year. Seven came out around the same time. No, no, I mean yeah. the same year. It was seven yeah. and then. Well, there was Legends, Legends of the, of the Fall. Fall. I think that was the year before, maybe. So yeah, he yeah. Brad, this was right mm-hmm. at the moment when Brad Pitt like became a huge movie star. Yeah. So by the time this movie came out, he was already a big star. Yeah. And now he was in this, and that helped drive people to to go see the movie too. Bruce Willis helped a lot because he was a big star at the time. Um, but one. One of the things that I know, because I've heard him interviewed, is he doesn't like the idea of being pulled into Hollywood. He really does not like the way movie studios act and behave. They set a hard limit on his budget for this because of what happened with The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which technically should have ended his career. Um, he's very anti-Hollywood. Small wonder that he's one of my favorite directors. <laughs> Uh, screenplay by David Peoples and he's you know he's just written a couple other little things Blade Runner and Unforgiven just a couple (laughs) yeah just you know and also Janet Peoples 
Nothing else. Not really. No, no, and I think she's married to him, although their bios don't say anything like that, do they? I don't know. I don't know. It would be a weird coincidence. Based on uh, La Jetée by Chris Marker, which is a 1962 short film. And I say film, even though it's just a series of still pictures. If you want to see it, it's on YouTube. You can look it up. Uh, La Jetée. J-E-T-E-E. And you can watch the whole thing and be bored. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's even moving. It's just a slideshow. Basically, yeah, it's just a slideshow. Starring Bruce Willis as James Cole. Hey, Steve. Uh Uh-huh. Do you know who they wanted before Bruce Willis? I think they wanted a couple different people, didn't they? One person specifically. I, I Nick Nick Nolte. Oh yes, yes. I think isn't that who Gilliam uh, wanted originally? Um, originally he had some questions about Bruce Willis, but then he became confident with Bruce Willis wanting to give a different kind of, basically mm-hmm. give the type of performance that no one else is allowing him to do. Right? Yeah. Like Willis wanted, I'm an actor, I can do stuff, and they're like, No, you're not. Twint your eyes and get out there and shoot a gun. <laughs> Just take your gun and get it in front of the camera. <laughs> Exactly. Um, also starring Joseph Melito as young James Cole. Nothing. That's right, because he, he couldn't uh, imitate a sense of wonder. Gilliam yeah. ruined his career. <laughs> Gilliam cut his legs right out from under him. Madeline Stowe as Dr. Kathleen Raylan, and you know her from Last of the Mohicans and that TV show called Revenge. Brad Pitt as Jeffrey Goins. Do you know who, who he originally wanted? Who? Jeff Bridges. Ooh, interesting. You know, Jeff Bridges could play a crazy person. Oh, yeah. And Brad Pitt went through a lot to get into to play this part. He went He went and uh, visited mental institutions. He talked to, to doctors who said, is this mania? Is what I'm doing, you know, too big, too small, not accurate enough? He really worked with uh, with uh, with people to get this to get this character right. If you guys want to watch a documentary on this, there is a documentary. I think you can find it on YouTube called, I can't remember, The Hamster Wheel? Something like that. Something like The Hamster Wheel. It is a documentary about the making of this film. And it's about an hour and a half long. And it's super fun, and I like watching it all the time. Anyway, um, also starring Christopher Plummer as Dr. Leland Goins, and he is, you know him, he was in The Sound of Music and Star mm-hmm. Trek Six and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, and he's dead now. <laughs> David Morse. <laughs> David Morse is Dr. Peters. He's the bad guy. And you know him. He's in Green Mile and The Rock and Contact and TV. John Cena is Jose. And he was in The Pacific, that World War II, and that boy don't watch that to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a movie about the Pacific theater of World War II wasn't a laugh it's, riot? It's like the horrible, depressing sequel to Band of Brothers just called The Pacific. Yeah. Um, he was also in Selena, and he was in Homicide Life on the Streets. Yeah, buddy. Christopher Maloney is Lieutenant Halperin, and he's in Law and Order SVU. Like, I think he's still doing it. I have no idea. Yeah. 11 years on that show, I think. And he was in Oz, and he was in Man of Steel. Yeah. He was, I don't even remember who he played. He was one of the army guys. My gasp out loud moment when I watched the movie in the movie theater, Frank Gorshin. Yes! As Dr. Fletcher, the only, the best and only 1966 Batman the Riddler. And that's about it. <laughs> I mean, he was a popular uh, comedian. He was and a comic, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Vernon Campbell is Tina Nothing. Lisa Gay Hamilton is Teddy. She was in Jackie Brown and Vice and House of Cards. Uh, Bob Adrian as Geologist, Nothing. Simon Jones as Zoologist. He was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the TV show, and the radio program. And he was also in Downton Abbey. I think he played the king or something. Carol Florence as Astrophysicist slash Jones, Nothing. Bill Raymond as Microbiologist, Nothing. Annie Golden as Woman Can Can't Be Nothing. And Thomas Roy as a Street Preacher. Cinematographer for Roger Pratt. And he did Batman and, like, all the Gillian films, like Brazil. Um, it was edited by Mick Oddsley. Oddsley. Uh, he recently did Murder on the Orient Express, the recent remake of that. A lot of Gilliam films and a lot of Stephen Frears movies. Music by Paul Buckmaster. He's a cellist and a conductor and a composer, and so he hasn't done any other movies. I think he did one other that's not worth mentioning. Um, production companies, Atlas Entertainment and Classico. No entertainment, no industries, no film production company, just Classico. Because they also mm. make spaghetti sauce. I was going to not do that joke because I knew Steve was going to take it. Uh, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> we, got, we, got a, we got a rapport going here. We know. You know. Distributed by Universal Pictures. Release date December 29th, 1995. A Christmas movie. What a fun <laughs> Christmas movie hey, this is. Come on, kids. Bundle hey. up. Put your mittens on. Let's go see 12 Monkeys. Put those goddamn toys down. We're going to go watch 12 Monkeys afterwards. Daddy, I'm having an existential crisis and I <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <sighs> Let's go see it again. <laughs> Running time, 129 minutes. Budget, 29.5 million. Adjusted for inflation, 55.9 million. Box office, 168.8 million. Adjusted for inflation, 320.2 million. So it made its money back and it made its advertising, which is great because Universal didn't even know what the fuck the movie was. No one did. <laughs> no one could no one could give an elevator pitch for this movie. Steve, do the elevator pitch for this movie if you wanted to get it produced. Oh my god. Uh, Bruce Willis travels back in time, but he's not trying to change the past, but... <laughs> He wants to, and Brad Pitt is in it, and he's crazy. But oh wait, did I it, mention that there's a disease that's killed everybody? Oh, there's and a they disease. Live underground? And people, every one percent of the human population survived, uh-huh. and they all live underground, and they have time travel somehow, and, and they yeah. sent Bruce Willis back, and he eats us. But he's he eats a spider. <laughs> He eats a spider, and he falls in love with Madeline Stowe. Who wouldn't? And uh, he pulls his own teeth at one point. Yeah. But it makes sense when you see him. it. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, yeah, and it's based on a uh, French uh, a French short film that's nothing but pictures from 1962. Money? Money for me? Can I have money? Can I have money? Movie? Can I have tens of millions of dollars, please, to make it? Thank you. <laughs> So, you said there was romance in it? Kinda. Sort of. (laughs) He's crazy. Did I mention that part? He beats a couple of guys to death at one point. He stomps a guy's head just completely off, basically. I mean, he just just curb stomps a guy to death in an abandoned theater. That was one of the rules from Universal is keep it R-rated. Don't go past an R-rating on this. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Which is funny because when you watch it, it also says it says sexual situations. I don't remember seeing sex at all in the no, movie. No, there's no, I don't remember any like sexual. It says nudity, but that's uh, yeah. just Bruce Willis. And that's not it's not in a, any kind of a sexual context. No, unless of course you like watching Bruce Willis's butt get scrubbed down by a big old scrubber brush. <laughs> yeah, it's like is that sexy? And if it is, I've got the movie for you. <clears throat> what else? Uh, I'm it. That's it. We're done. That's I'm done it. with the, the, the who made it and what's going on and everything else. Hey, Steve, you ready to get completely naked and then get injected into a time machine so we can go back in time and have it fuck up our brains so bad that we don't know where we are or who we are because the people that are in charge don't know what the fuck they're doing? Oh, aren't we there already? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I call my time machine my front door. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fucking 12 monkeys, would you? Look at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep, okay. I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. All right. And let's me and you grab our gloved hands and run in, in our bio suits into the bleak, sad, and depending on how you take the ending, uplifting? Sort of? <laughs> movie? In a way? <laughs> 12 monkeys. Steve, take it away. Oh boy! Well, we we start out with with his dream, right? The first time we see the dream when he well, we we see the little boy and the the shit going down well, at the airport. Technically, we start off with the the screen that the, has the text. Yeah, yeah. Five million people will die from a deadly virus in 1997, right? And then you know the survivors will all live underground, and that sucks, huh? And <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And then it, it says that it's an excerpt from an interview with a clinically diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic on April 12th, 1990, Baltimore County Hospital, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we have a we have a fun dream. And what's happening in that fun dream, Steve? Oh, it's a, oh, fun, boy. It's a fun dream where a little boy watches a crime be committed. <laughs> well, we open with the, a close-up of the kid's eyes. Yeah. And we see a guy in a Hawaiian shirt running. Yeah. And there's a distinct sound, this kind of pulsing, like alarm kind of sound, but not really. Right. There's a there's a blonde lady, and the guy in the Hawaiian shirt gets killed. Yeah. And then and then we cut to Terry Gilliam said, "If you thought you've seen dystopian before, <laughs> holy shit! Just you wait, buddy." It's Bruce Willis, and he's in his prison hammock. He's in a cage. He's, he's in a little cage. And there's a guy next door named Jose. And he wakes up because the intercom has called his name, right? Yeah, James Cole. And they're all talking about how... Um, did you volunteer for something and about how volunteers don't come back and how, you know, they keep them all on the seventh floor because they probably go crazy. Right. Yeah. And then we get him, get him suited up and he's putting on all this stuff and he puts on a, a great big Ziploc bag. Yeah. He, <laughs> he puts goes, on, he puts on a condom first on his entire body and then he puts on a big right. Ziploc bag and he goes outside because of, because I guess because of the virus, you know, you're not, people can't, you can't just go out to the surface because there's contamination. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and he's so. going out there and it's snowing and everything's abandoned and uh, he's walking around and he finds a bear yeah and the bear does does not want to be friends no it's <laughs> it's Hank it's just Hank the tank he's looking for food just give him is some that space hank the, is no. it Hank the tank no, I don't think it was no it's not Hank the tank but it's, <laughs> he's just hungry let him be by the way guys Hank the tank is a world famous bear <laughs> it's been in a lot of movies he's humongous. Um, 
but he's walking around he goes into this department store and birds fly away and um he's collecting specimens yeah he's collecting bugs yeah he grabs a spider and he's just walking around in the desolation and then he goes outside and he finds a sign that says we did it and it's a symbol of these monkeys yeah right Hmm. And then he looks up and there's a friendly lion. <laughs> on top of a building. <laughs> on top of a building. And I guess he goes, that's enough for me, thanks. I'm going back in. Thanks. Bye. And then they scrub his butthole with a yeah. big brush. Really, really and good. A, really thoroughly. A whole lot of soap. And they do some blood work. And then he goes and he meets the scientist group. Yeah, he gets to sit in the fun high chair. Yeah, <laughs> he sits in a chair and lifts it up and they talk to him through this kind of like ball of monitors. Mm-hmm. And what do they want? Well, they're offering him a chance to get, because he's in prison, you know, and they say, if you do this for us, we can get some years off of your sentence. And Mm -hmm. what we want you to do is go back in time and find some evidence and information for us about the virus from before it happened. Mm -hmm. Because the idea, what they want is they, ideally, I think what they want is a sample of the pure virus, because it's been so many years since the virus was first released that it's mutated and everything. And they think if they can get a sample of the original pure virus, then they can come up with like a way to cure it and people can go they can come out from underground is the idea right Um, so get naked and we're gonna send you through time and it's totally fine we'll totally send you where you're supposed to go we're very very good at this (laughs) that's right we we are competent get naked and get in the injector tube and (laughs) so he travels through time, but uh-oh. Yeah, he's supposed Where to go. Does he he's supposed he's supposed to go to 1996, but the very next scene is 1990. Whoops, Baltimore in Baltimore, yeah. and he is. Hey, he, Steve, a movie that takes place in Maryland. Yeah, and doesn't it look like fun? Well, they, I think this is actually Philadelphia, but he's, yeah, oh yeah, oh boy. He's so yeah. He's he winds up in the nicest jail in Baltimore. Well, well, at um, first <laughs> we cut to an art lecture series that's and right that's where we that's where we meet um catherine catherine and and her beeper she goes gets off. called away yeah and her beeper goes off and then she goes to the most awful prison you have ever seen on film none of the paint is sticking to anything it's all <laughs> crawled away people are crowded into jail cells and she's being led to go meet a guy that they picked up who um beat up like 15 cops and put three of them in jail and and they've tranquilized him, and he's wrapped in plastic in a holding cell. Yeah, yep. And she goes in, and she wants to say hi to him, and it's and it's gold, it's gold cold, but he yep. does not look like he's having a good time. No, he's drooling, and he's incoherent, and he keeps and asking if he can make a phone call. He's naked under that clear plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's shackled onto the floor. And she's like, oh boy, oh boy, a real life crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending you to the asylum from Amadeus. Kinda. It's a. It, it, they, I, it gave me vibes of, of of the asylum from Amadeus, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit because first he gets there and then he gets to be scrubbed with a brush again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Symbolism. Symbolism. And one of the big old orderly tells him, "You're going to be good." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to be fine." And he takes him into the main room and he says, "Hey, Jeffrey, why don't you show him around?" And then we get 15 minutes of Brad Pitt not being Brad Pitt for 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> 
trying to you know, wrench that Oscar out of the Academy's vice grip. <laughs> he did get nominated for he this, got, didn't he? He got a nomination. He got nominated yeah. for this role. He, he got nominated, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he basically shows him around, and he goes on his rambling, um, well, any number of random rambling craziness that you can see anywhere on the internet now, but yeah. in, he, in he, 1995, <laughs> we didn't see it all that often. He would totally have like a, re- a regular Twitch stream or YouTube channel today, and he would have a million followers. Mm-hmm. And so basically we get it. Um, he's in the crazy house, and then he's going to go and meet all the doctors. And he tries to tell the doctors, "Hi, I'm from the future, but I'm I was supposed to arrive in 1996, but I arrived in in 1990, and so you guys don't know. It's my past. It's my past, but it's it's your future. And can I make a phone call? And so they let him make a phone call, and it's this nice lady who lives in where her children have gotten gone out of control. Yeah, there, like she has all the, three children. There's more noise in there than at an airport or in a bus terminal or anywhere else she's got one kid she's like i don't know anything you're crazy right right and he figures out that what because they miscalculated and sent him to the wrong year the phone mm-hmm. number he's supposed to call to leave a voice he, he wants to leave a voicemail so that the scientists in the future can find out what's going on with him but because mm-hmm. it's so early the number they gave him is the wrong number it's not it, it doesn't go to the right place yet so Right. And then we cut to him having another flash of that same dream that he was having before. Someone running through what appears to be an airport. But then he wakes up and he's still in the crazy house. And he tries to get out. And then he eats a spider. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, that's when in Rome, right? And in the meantime, he's kind of letting Jeffrey know about the stuff that... You know, his stuff. Yeah. Right? Like he's traveling to the future, the army of the 12 monkeys, you know, stuff like that. Right? And then Jeffrey has an episode. (laughs) Oh, boy, does he. And the next day, he's talking to him some more. Bruce Willis is trying to watch television, even though he is... I think he is on a lot of drugs at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Jeffrey comes up and says, hey, I got a key. You can escape. And he tries to escape. And then all the orderlies come and beat him up. And he doesn't escape. They put him into an even more secure room where he's where he's tied to the bed, right? Yeah. They and put him in a CT scan that is kind of very much like the time machine, right? Yeah, that yeah. we see later. We see the time machine a little bit later, but yeah, it is very... Because he gives it kind of a look like, well, what's that? And yeah. And then he disappears. Yeah, they put him in the room, and then the Riddler comes in with Catherine, <laughs> and he's like, riddle me this. How did he get out of this room? Mm-hmm. And, and he does a weird thing with his mouth. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to his dream again, except now uh, Jeffrey Goins is in his dream as yeah. a guy wearing a yellow jacket and with red hair. And I think this is the first time Catherine shows up. As, yeah, it's as the, the blonde lady. But now it looks like he's back in his own time. Right. And he has a talk with a named weirdo. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Who we never see. Who's just like a never, voice, yeah. He's just like a voice. And we don't know if it's another guy that they've sent through time. We don't know if it's a voice inside of Cole's head because he doesn't seem to be the most stable. And apparently traveling through time does shit to your brain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we don't know if this is a crazy guy in our time. He's being driven crazy by the mad scientists who keep sending him back in time. Because they literally, I mean, Dr. Clayton Forrester would fit right in. <laughs> yes. With this group of scientists. Dr. Right? Forrester would be running this show. <laughs> 
I would kill to have TV's Frank in this. Oh, my God. Push the button, Frank. Okie doke. <laughs> shoots him through time. Exactly. That, it makes perfect sense, because, of course, Frank would fuck it up and send him to the wrong year. So, of course, they're doing a, a post-time travel interview, and they seem very disappointed. Yeah, they're a little upset that he didn't accomplish his mission. But then again, he told them, I arrived in 1990 instead of 96. You fucks. Yeah. How dare you? It's not my fault. And then, and at first, they seem upset that he swallowed a spider, but now they're sending him again. And this time, we see the time machine, which is very familiar to the MRI. Yes. Right? Yes. And they're trying to encourage him, and they're like, good job. You know, get some more information. Do that spider thing again, if you can, right? Right. And they say, don't worry, this time we're sending you back to 1996 right on the button. That's right. And where does he wind up, Steve? World War One. That's right. Oopsie. This is, if you want to, this is like a very dark... I mean, don't get me wrong. Time Bandits is very dark. But this is like a much darker Time Bandits. Oh, yeah, for sure. He winds up there, and he sees one of his friends. Jose, this guy from the next cell, yeah. And he's been injured. Yeah. And someone takes a picture, and uh, then all of a sudden, he gets boop-booped. There's, like, electricity or light or something, and he screams. And then we cut to where, Steve? Uh, To 1996. And Mm -hmm. uh, Catherine is given a talk, and she has published a book. And so Mm -hmm. she's at, like, her... uh, About what? um, I forget doomsday people who prophesize doomsday that's right yeah it relates to crazy people and stuff like that i can't remember the name of the book it's like i got inspired by this one guy that i met 1990 and now i've written this book isn't it great and lots of people are there including a guy with red hair yeah the david morse who Uh gets an autograph and kind of stands there and talks to her for a little bit but she's ignoring him because she has other books to autograph and he's just like okay whatever And and he leaves well, remember, he says, don't you think that the human race has run its course? And yeah. Maybe maybe I should you know, steal a virus and kill everybody. And she's like, mm-hmm, whatever. Yeah, sounds good. And he's like, wow, that's great. It was a thought I was having while sitting here listening to you <laughs> talk. <laughs> Thanks for the inspiration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are like, that, that ends. And she goes out to her car. And she's like, well, that's good. That's all over. But then what happens, Dave? <gasps> There's a man in her car. Oh, boy. I hope it's not a serial killer. It's not. It's Bruce Willis. Oh. he's not. He want? He, he's not doing too good, though. Um, Why? Because, well, you know, time travel fucks you up. And, you know, he's, he's you been, always he's been sleeping naked, on the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so he's apparently been in 1996 for at least a little while by this point. Because he's made notes. He has and some done, clothes. Yeah. He's got some clothes. And he says he's, he's made some notes. And he's been investigating things. And he tells her that they have to drive to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those scenes. This drive where you go, oh yeah, Bruce Willis is a really great actor and no one really gave him a shot to be one. Yeah, yeah. Once because he got there's, a type. Yeah. There's a specific shot in this in this sequence where the radio's on and he asks her to please turn up the radio. Where he's like a little kid. Yeah. And it's not like groan-inducing, rolling your eyes back in your head, oh Jesus Christ, he's trying this too hard. It's a genuine dude who has known nothing but living underground mm-hmm. and and not being able to and he listens he listens to blueberry hill right yeah on the radio and he starts to tear up and you're like jesus christ yeah 
how in the f- how can anyone not give him more better roles than what he's getting? No wonder he wanted to do this movie, right? Absolutely. And then he he's like he he's ecstatic because he can he loves the air, he can breathe the air. It's one of the things where oh, someone's taking the premise seriously, right? Right. Who is who is this guy? And they've kind of alluded to what happened to some of the other guys who have traveled back, traveled through time, that they didn't come back and maybe became crazy people or yeah. street prophets. Yeah. That some of the guys just get lost because they're going from this hellish world where they can't go outside. There's no animals. There's, there's seemingly no justice. They're living in a permanent martial law state. And they're sent back to a place where they can go outside, eat great food, breathe the air, right? Who would want to come back? Right, right? exactly. And apparently have sex. Yeah. (laughs) Who would want to? But he's kind of staying on target, right? Right. He's looking for the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, which is Mm -hmm. the group that they believe are going to be responsible for unleashing the virus. Mm -hmm. We get a brief shot where the police are now looking for her because she hasn't shown up. Right. Right. She's disappeared. He has another very brief um, flashback to the dude in the Hawaiian shirt getting shot. We still don't see who that is. And uh, then he wakes up and they're in a hotel room. She's tied up in bed. Yeah. Um, and they have a little tiny scene where she still don't. She still thinks he's a crazy person because he's acting like a crazy person because he talks like a crazy person, right? Because he kind he of is a things. crazy person. <laughs> he kind of is a crazy person. Um, but I can't remember what they talk about in this scene. Um, he wants some money so he can get something to eat. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, the TV's on and she still agrees to drive him to where he needs to go. Right. Right. And they still have, he still goes into what's going on. They finally get to Philadelphia and there happens to be a guy telling everyone that the world's going to end in pestilence and fire. And he says, he sees, I think he sees one of the, the paintings of the uh, Army of the Twelve Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he makes her stop, and he rips it away, and he sees it. Right, and he knows they're on the right track, yeah. mm -hmm. And then someone starts talking to him, and it's a crazy guy, and he tells him to do what, Steve? To pull out his teeth, because the teeth is how they find you. Yeah. And we're like, okay, that's not good. Good, good information. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) And then they break into a movie theater where there happens to be um, crazy rapist guy. Yeah, and here's where we get the the mighty stomping. Oh yeah, because the guy, one of them tries to they, tries to try some shit with Catherine, and oh boy, Cole don't like that. <laughs> yeah, and if you think this is you know diehard Bruce Willis, it's not. This is crazy strength. Oh my god, this Bruce is Willis. yeah, this is like wild unleashed, literally <laughs> stomp a dude's head until it smashes Bruce Willis. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they go back outside. There's another crazy. It's the same crazy preacher guy talking. Yeah. Bruce is obviously upset that he's killed someone, but then they see a place called the FAA. Right, which is is a place that he... I think it was in the information that the scientists were showing him in the future. It's identified by by a pig's head over the door. Yeah, that's right. They show... Yeah, the pig's head is one of the pictures they show him. And he's like, this is the place, so... Mm -hmm. And he goes in there, and they're like, we don't know... Because he's looking for Jeff Goins, right? Right. 
and they're they're an environmental action group and they're like we don't know who he is and he says can you tell the gun that and he pulls out a gun <laughs> that he got from the from the violent raises people and they're like fine fine here's all the information jeff goins was part of it and then he broke off with 11 other guys to form his own group the army of the 12 monkeys and uh we don't work with him anymore because he does crazy things like he released snakes onto the floor of congress and stuff like that <laughs> oh and also and his, ra- his his dad is a famous virologist uh, virologist that's right and um they're like okay where is he gonna be and so they're gonna go to the virologist's house right yeah meanwhile madeline stone is still trying to convince him that this is all made up in your head this isn't real you know you're crazy or you know but doing it in a fairly smart way then they go out to the woods and he goes i'm gonna grab you now and then we don't know what happens because um we cut (laughs) when we're like did he just kill her yeah like oh shit (laughs) well this guy okay maybe he is the crazy one we cut to the um house yeah the and some yeah yeah, somehow he gets in the house and that where then we see daddy goins and he's you know talking some bullshit i'm famous virologist and um one of the guards come up and says there's a guy who wants to, to Jeffrey who's there and he looks a little bit different but still crazy. Oh yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> His hair's longer, he's got in a ponytail. Um and uh, he comes up and he and he meets with with Cole and this is where we start seeing things influencing other things because we may be in what Star Trek likes to call a what is it uh, a causality loop a causality yeah. loop oh yeah, yeah. Big, oh big time yeah <laughs> because it apparently Jeffrey got inspired by what Cole told him in the mental hospital right because there was a point right. in the mental hospital where where Cole said something kind of offhandedly like maybe humanity deserves to be wiped out that's right and mm-hmm. and then in this conversation Jeffrey's like oh you gave me that idea back in the asylum and you know that... don't you remember yeah the army of the 12 monkeys all this other stuff and and so Cole attacks him which which Jeffrey finds is hilarious <laughs> and then Cole needs to escape and um boy he's crazy <laughs> <laughs> and we keep cutting back to this radio this radio program in which apparently there's a kid lost in a well yes right and Bruce Willis says, I remember being being worried about that kid, but it just turns out it was a hoax. He was hiding in a barn the whole time. And one of my, f- f- I love Terry Gilliam. They cut to a shot on the TV where they're trying to send a sandwich down to the kid. Yes. And it's a, it's a monkey holding a sandwich with a camera on top of his yeah, head and, being lowered down into a basket. Yeah, in like a bucket. It's like, and, the, there's mm-hmm. a, and the, the, I think they introduced that there's two cops that are talking about it. And the one cop says that to the other cop. Like, you know, they're going to lower a monkey down the hole with a beef, with a roast beef sandwich for the kid. And the other, mm-hmm. the other cop is like, seriously <laughs> yeah and as cole's trying to escape he runs through the kitchen and the chefs are watching that on television yeah so he gets out and he lets uh he lets Catherine out of the trunk of his car so whoo, yeah she's still alive right? yeah she kind of attacks him right she kind of jumps on him right yeah i can't remember yeah um and he's starting to want to be crazy Right. He wants to believe what she's saying. He wants to believe right? that the future is just part of his delusion and that he actually belongs here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because you know to, for him everything here is great it's way better than and living she, in a cage underground <laughs> and she's and as the cops are coming or the security guards are coming she turns to talk to him he had walked off into this stream and now he has disappeared right she's talking to the cop the cop's like yeah he's crazy and she's like okie dokie but she keeps saying that he looked familiar somehow right right? she thinks she thought that when she met him for the first time she's like I've seen his face somewhere or Mm -hmm. she asks I think she Mm -hmm. asked him like have we met before because his face looked familiar to her yeah and uh, now they're doing an all points bulletin to find him and she has cops outside of her apartment and she's just kind of like I want everyone to go and you discover that there's a certain amount of sympathy that she has for Cole right right cut to an oil painting of some cliffs and the scientists are singing what steve they're singing are they're singing blueberry hill aren't they that's right yeah yeah they're, and, they're I, and they're like good job you're a hero we're gonna give you a full mm-hmm. pardon yeah because he had committed some crimes and they're like you've got your full pardon good job way to go you did awesome and he says what he says uh i'm insane and you are part of my insanity <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's trying to talk himself into it. This isn't. This isn't real. This yeah. is all. Yeah. Cut back. Catherine talks to the Riddler for a little while about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Cut back to Cole because now we're intercutting between the past and the present. Yeah. For Cole, right? And he wants he. He wants to go back. Meanwhile, voice comes back, right? While he's sitting alone in his hospital room. And it's got to be something in his head, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be something like that. Um, so we forgot to say this. He got shot when he was in 1916. Yeah, and she removed the bullet during their road trip. And kept it. And kept it. And then she gave it to one of the cops that, that mm-hmm. found her after he disappeared. And the cops, you know, analyzed the bullet. And it's uh, Chris Maloney, law and order guy, comes to her. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey. Hey, you might thought you might find this interesting that bullet that you say you took out of that guy's leg is from world war one it's an antique yeah and she's like oh that's neat yep no she doesn't she freaks the fuck out is that when she looks <laughs> is that when she looks through the pictures so she's going through all the pictures that she has up on her wall based on the research for her book um and then she opens up another book that's related i think she included the picture of jose right one of the other time travelers right who who gave testimony about how he's traveling through time and all this other stuff but it's a cropped picture of just the guy so then she goes back and looks up on the wall and she finds the picture uncropped and cole is in that picture completely naked reaching out to him yeah and that's when she goes okay i'm okay (laughs) i believe it (laughs) what so now we have the characters have flipped. Right. Right? You went from Catherine not believing and Cole believing, and now Cole doesn't want to believe, and Catherine does. Yeah. And now Cole is asking them to send him back to do more research. Right. And they're like, you're not trying to trick us so you can go back in time, are you? And he's like, no. Of course not. No, definitely be, not. Don't be silly. Definitely send me back, though. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to the laboratory where Daddy Goins works. And who else works there, Steve? Uh, the David Morse guy, the long hair ponytail guy. Who works for the virology yeah. lab. The guy <laughs> the guy who said he maybe we should wipe out humanity. Yeah, that's that's not a good good thing. Madeline Stowe tries to call him and say, Hey, um, Maybe you should beef up security or something. Yeah, since, you know, you have all those deadly viruses and and whatnot. That you have an assistant that has, like, a map that shows all the places that someone would go if they wanted to spread a disease at every airport. 
No, no, he doesn't have that. Okay, does he have something written down on his desk that says "Kill all humanity"? <laughs> I have the virus for that. <clears throat> uh, but the scientists take him up on his offer, and they're going—they're going to send him back, right? Right. Meanwhile, Madeline Stowe is now acting. Well, Catherine is now acting like the crazy one. Yeah, right? yeah. She goes back She's to trying... Philadelphia, back to the the head the headquarters, FAA yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And who's there? Jeffrey. Jeffrey's in there, but they're not answering the door. <laughs> he says, "Don't." Li-, he says something. He he casually refers to her as my old psychologist, and the other, or my yeah. old psychiatrist, and the other people are freaking out, like, "What? She was your psychiatrist?" <laughs> <laughs> she runs into the crazy man who pulled his teeth, but he's not acting. You know, she's trying to ask him questions about that, but he's not acting like he was before, right? Right. He's not saying things about, you know, he's not acting like he's a time traveler or knows him or anything like that. Meanwhile, we cut back to, we cut back to Jeffrey, who's still just real fucking crazy and they're doing some sort of plan, right? They're plotting something, but yeah. We don't know yeah. what, they're plotting something. <laughs> and then who comes walking down the street? Uh, it's Cole, right? It's Cole. Yeah, she he, yeah. he gets her because Catherine is outside, and Cole just kind of walks up behind her and gets her attention, and she's like, "Come on, we have to get out of here. If the police see you, you know, they'll arrest you." And he's like, "Oh, good. I want them mm. to arrest me. I I want to stay." And he here. holds up his arms yeah. and he starts walking. He's like, "I want to surrender to one of I, the cops. Where are they?" <laughs> I wanna I wanna get you know he wants to get better. He wants to surrender. Right. Right. Cut back to the FAA, and people seem to have some problems with this plan that uh, that. Uh, Jeff Jeffrey's cooking up, and I think they all recognize now that he is completely crazy. Yeah, but they're kind of trapped. He's their he's their leader, and we're like, okay. They escape from being caught by the cops by hiding in some garbage because oh boy, his Philadelphia hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like covered in graffiti and garbage and homeless people. And they run off to uh, a hotel. A really right? classy hotel where they charge by the hour. Yeah. 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 It's really nice. And uh, they, the proprietor recognizes him, I think, and decides to call the cops. They go up to a hotel room where they have to have a difficult conversation where Madeline believes him. And God damn it, Bruce Willis. <laughs> Where he doesn't want his reality to be what it is. Right. He wants to right? be from here. Yeah. He yeah. wants to be from here. He wants to be crazy. And he, I, I'm just going to say, you're going to hear it a nine hundred more times. This is the best Will, best Bruce Willis performance. And why? Because people let him act. <laughs> <laughs> Where he wasn't the quote unquote Bruce Willis performance. Mm-hmm. So they're in there, and then all of a sudden, oh no, he calls a pimp because he that the, yes the, the motel dude thinks that she's a prostitute, right? Right. And he comes in and he starts slapping her around, and that's not smart no. at all. <laughs> no, no. Because what happens to that guy? Well, it, it's well, it's it's one of my favorite little sort of fake outs in the movie mm. is uh, Bruce Willis. Of course, Bruce Willis kicks the shit out of him and and pushes him into the bathroom and closes the door. And and the guy, the pimp, had a switchblade, of course. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce Willis takes the switchblade off of the pimp and pushes the pimp down into the bathtub. And mm-hmm. we just see a shot pushing in on the pimp's, like, terrified, panicking face. Mm-hmm. And he, say, he says something like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And then and we Madeline cut to Bruce Willis. And Madeline banging on the door. Yeah, Madeline right. is banging on the door. And then Bruce Willis opens the door and comes out. He hasn't done anything to the pimp. He's just used the knife to cut his teeth out. 
Right. And he say he holds out his teeth in his hand and he explains to her, you, they find you with your teeth. <laughs> so <that's, laughs> this is his way of, of, of taking extra precautions so that they won't pull him back to the future. So they step so. onto the street and thankfully Philadelphia is such a hellscape that a man dripping blood from his mouth <laughs> and Madeline Snow, who is dripping blood from her nose, can just walk through and no one gives yeah. a shit. Nobody seems to even shit. notice. Just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so is it at this point that she realizes that all she has to do is... I can't remember when, when this happens. Do they go... Yeah, they go They go into the mall, the one that he was in before, right? Right. And he has a quick flash to his... To, you know, the first time he was there when it was covered in snow and there are animals all over the place because they're purchasing disguises. Yes. Right? And he grabs a Hawaiian shirt. Interesting. Meanwhile, the 12 monkeys are, the army of the 12 monkeys are in a fun bus and they're going to go out and do something. (laughs) (laughs) They're having an outing. Yeah. And they grabbed somebody. Who did they They, grab? They grabbed Jeffrey's poor old dad. Yep. Yep. And they're like, ha ha, we got them. And you're like, okay, so are we, we're concerned about this now, right? Yeah. They're up to to no good. They're up to no good. Uh, then we cut a, cut to a scene from a Hitchcock film. Which Hitchcock film? My least favorite one. But <laughs> <laughs> Your least favorite one? I think it's great. Vertigo! Vertigo! You guys want to know how I feel about Vertigo? Go back about seven years. We Jesus. did a whole show, a whole show about Vertigo. We, we, boy, did we not agree. But <laughs> where, 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 do you, where, where, where do you go, Madeline? What takes you away? Mm-hmm. And they're in a movie theater watching... I don't, don't ask me why. Don't, don't, I mean, if this is a rundown theater. There are some people watching it. They have this little conversation and she's putting on like a fake mustache on him. Mm-hmm. And he's been, he's been completely bald in, before he started going completely bald in his movies. Oh yeah, yeah. He's completely head shaved. Yeah, yeah. His whole, his head is completely shaved. She puts a fake mustache on him. They're getting dressed up and stuff. We then cut briefly to the zoo where we think the 12 monkeys are going, right? Mm-hmm. We cut back to the movie theater and now Cole is wearing a, oh, a long-haired wig with a ponytail and a Hawaiian shirt, right? And mm. she's gone and he doesn't right. know where she is. He but panics she, for a second, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh-oh, she's got blonde hair like in his dream. Hmm. So... He could just be crazy, right? Yeah. He could just be crazy because his dream has been changing over the course of the movie as he sees other things. So maybe he's incorporating things in his real life to his dream. And then, is that when they kiss? Um, I think so. Cut to the city and we see a skyscraper. And what's in the skyscraper? monkeys and then we cut to the we cut to the highway and what's on the highway elephants in Uh-oh. fact there are elephants everywhere and they're going to the airport right yeah they're in a, they're in a cab and they hear on the radio that Brad Pitt's group uh released all the animals from the zoo and they locked his father in one of the animal cages. Mm-hmm. We did skip a part where Madeline Stowe did call the number that he was supposed to call, and she left a message. Yeah, which w- right. which we had actually heard earlier in the movie. Yeah, we but yeah. we didn't know it was her. Right, we didn't know it was right. her, but yeah, yeah. And so now we cut to them driving to the airport, and we can see giraffes on the freeway, <laughs> yes. flamingos, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And now we get to is it the airport. The cops are still looking for him. Yeah, and also well, they they realize in the cab 
that because springing the animals from the zoo was what the army of the 12 monkeys was up to that actually they aren't responsible for the virus being released because bruce willis knows that the virus is going to be released like any time now like they've reached the point where it's going to be released right um and if jeff and if so if brad pitt's people didn't do it then somebody else did it Mm -hmm. and so they're trying to be super sneaky because they got to get past all the security guards and his his mustache is coming off and Madeline Stowe goes off to get the airplane tickets, and that's when she sees bad virologist dude. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she starts putting some stuff together. Meanwhile, Cole calls his handlers, who receive these by... I guess they found this intact video machine... uh, voicemail machine answer yeah. a voicemail machine yeah and if they leave messages on it they receive them in the future by you know listening to the tape he calls them he tells them it's not the army of the 12 monkeys that they had nothing to do with it they're just a bunch of kids right mm-hmm. and we see that yeah crazy virologist dude is is getting airplane tickets and he's got a great big suitcase full of fun meanwhile <laughs> bruce willis is trying to put his mustache on and who starts talking to him why it's jose it's not jose it's, it's that not. guy oh again. it's the crazy guy it's the crazy hey, guy bud. first and then it's jose yeah it's yeah well it's, it's voice. definitely yeah. at this point a voice in his head yeah because there's only one guy in the salt and that ain't that guy yeah Okay. Then Jose shows up. Then Jose shows up, yeah. Looking a little worse for wear. And he gives him a gun, and he says what? He we says, know? complete complete your mission. Mm-hmm. And shoot the virologist guy before he yeah. can get on, on an airplane and spread spread the virus. And he's like, I don't want to. And he's like, tough shit. And now, um, what happens? Cole tells him, I'm not going to do it, right? Yeah, and Jose says, if you don't do it, then we're going to kill Catherine. Yeah, we're going to kill Catherine. So you have to do it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Catherine says, it's that guy, it's that guy in the yellow coat and the red hair who looks a lot like the guy you've been dreaming about. Guy with red hair creepily tries to get TSA agent to sniff one of the vials and he's like, no, thank you. (laughs) Cut Cut briefly to Cole as a little kid who happens to be at the airport. Everyone can now see where this is going to fucking go. So if you... If you thought, oh, goody, Cole's going to have a happy ending, it's it's not going to be one. So eventually, um, Virus Guy starts running. Cole sh- runs after him, pulls out his gun, and what happens? Uh, the cops shoot Cole. That's right. And then we see Catherine run up, and she's holding Cole as he's dying on the floor of the airport. And as, they're, as cops and stuff run up to her and hustle her away, she looks up and she sees Cole as a little kid. Yep. Because Cole did tell her about this dream. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And everyone is sad faced now. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, shit. So everything's terrible. Um, cut to the inside of the plane. And red haired, yellow coat dude is sitting down in first class or business class. And who's sitting next to him, Steve? Well, she introduces herself as Jones, but she's mm-hmm. one of the scientists from the future. She's, she's what's called the astrophysicist. Yeah. 
and they introduce each other and he he says hi my name is guy who's gonna kill the world and she's like hi my <laughs> name my name is jones i'm in insurance yeah right oh. cut cut to the airport parking lot we see uh we see cole with his parents he's getting into his car and he hears an airplane and he looks up into the sky and now you can start your conversation as to what happened as soon as you get in your car to drive home the end steve (laughs) how do you feel about this time traveled psychological thriller drama um uh romance i don't think maybe sure Sure, sure why not yeah i feel about 12 monkeys I mean, since you brought it up, funnier than most romantic comedies. <laughs> it's my favorite romantic comedy. Uh, you know, um, I uh, I like it overall. Um, I I definitely recommend Here it. Here we go. Um, no, no, you don't know where it's going. You just sit back and listen, buddy. I, oh, while I admire listen? its while I admire its craft. Um, mm. No, but so when I when I I watched it when it first came out in 1995. And that was the last time I had watched it before watching it for this. And you were 16. I was 15. You're 15. Okay. Because 95, I would have been 15, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still kind of underwhelmed by it now. Like, I, I, I appreciate it a lot more now than I did back then. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed a lot more about it to appreciate than I did back then. Um, for example, I really, really love its sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what a bunch of weirdos the scientists are. Oh, yeah. I love the surreal tone that the future scenes have and the mechanical sort of clockwork aesthetic that the future has. It's like a future that has been assembled on the fly from spare parts, you know, like that. You want to know that, why? Because it was. <laughs> Part of it was the budget. Literally, um, the designer and the set decorator, they went out and they just found garbage that they thought was neat and would bring it in and say, well, look, we found this old lamp. We found this. We found that. And he said, put it together because their budget wouldn't allow for original set construction. Most of this was was like in abandoned foundries. And one of them predominantly was an abandoned um, generator complex. Mm -hmm. So they'd made use of what they could to keep the budget to keep it under budget because yeah, universal yeah. was like you the minute you go over budget this is shut down no one sees the movie so there you go yeah i like yeah, it that too. that that like ball of tvs that they use to talk mm-hmm. to him with i mean it literally it looks like they just found some old tvs and and it's held together with like you know chicken wire i mean it's with some junk stuck in the middle to give it kind of a roughly spherical shape like it's mm-hmm. i really really love the aesthetic of the future in the movie and, and the, the aesthetic overall because the, the the present day scenes are great too like they're absolutely filthy you're right like that that jail that he's in in baltimore at the beginning it's it's like a nightmare i mean it's mm-hmm. so it's you it couldn't be more dilapidated you know if they tried to make it that way like it's it just mm-hmm. looks absolutely awful and the um, asylum and the asylum yeah absolutely um i love the way the film handles time travel both <laughs> stylistically and in terms of plot and theme stylistically we learn almost nothing about how the time travel is accomplished. We have that one scene where we see him getting into the time machine. Um, That's about it. 
You know, there's not like big, impressive special effects sequences of him going back in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- almost all of it happens off screen and is and is communicated to us through editing. Uh, you want to know told, why we don't know why it works? I, I, I'm going to say budget again. Immaterial to the plot. Well, that's true too, and, and actually, and it's better this way. Mm-hmm. Like it's more effective if we see him in the future, and they say we're going to send you back in time, and then the next time we see him is they just cut to another scene, and he's there, and it's Madeline Stowe walking into a room, and there's a guy in a chair, and the camera tracks around in front, and it's him, mm-hmm. and you, yeah. we, uh, you know, um, so you know, and then he one minute he's there, and the next minute he's gone, and mm-hmm. then we cut to the future and he's back you know and we get little details like they check a voicemail for information they track us through our teeth how (laughs) doesn't matter that's all we get that's all we need you know and and that and the fact that we don't know everything about it also adds to the surreal quality of it um i like how the purpose of time travel isn't to change the past because the past can't be changed which is the most depressing way to conceive time travel but (laughs) but is also the only way that makes sense according to the rules of the real world Mm -hmm. like the past is the past so if you travel back into the past to try and change it whatever you do will happen in the past which from the perspective of people in the future has already happened so no matter what you do you can't change the past you can only help to bring about the past that everyone already remembers Mm -hmm. um again kind of depressing but that's probably if somebody ever invents time travel that's probably how it's going to work uh And yet, despite the past being fixed and immutable, it's also unknowable. And I think that's that was something that I completely missed the first time I watched the movie. And it's maybe my favorite part of the movie watching it this time. I love that that added layer of you can go back to the past. You can't change it. But also, even while you are there, you can't understand it and can't truly come to know it. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big theme in the movie because Cole travels back to a recent enough past that he remembers it from when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And yet, even after repeated visits, it remains a mysterious and bewildering place to him. Um, you know, the details of his memory slash dream of the airport change each time he remembers it. Mm-hmm. Because while the past may be set in stone, our memories of it are not. And the only reason, the only purpose to revisit the past in this film is to learn from it. So that knowledge can be used in the present to make a better future. And that's not a bad lesson. Nope. But the people in charge of using that knowledge and building that future <laughs> are not exactly the most inspiring bunch. And nope. there's there's a lesson there, too, that we should all pay mm-hmm. attention to. Um they're typical Gilliam bureaucrats. Yes, absolutely. It's it's boy the the plague really did kill all the smart people, didn't it? <laughs> like the one the one percent we were left with are just not up to this task, are they? I mean, they somehow invented time travel. Good for them, but other than well, that, the, the they only got no one that's clue. Yeah, the only one that really seems to be on the ball is the woman, the astrophysicist. Who, yeah, who goes back at the end. Yeah, who more than likely is the one that developed time travel. You would think, yeah. Well, the other ones are like the zoologists. The, the zoologists come up with time travel. <laughs> no. There's the, the zoologist invented time travel. It's 
the geologist, zoologist, astrophysicist, and microbiologist. Yeah. Right? The only one out of that group that could have come up with time travel is the astrophysicist. Right. And that's the woman. The other ones are goobers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're always asking questions that are specifically related to, you know, if it's a, if it's a question about why did we're looking for the original strain of the disease that comes from the microbiologist. But right. the only one that seems to have any idea of what they're doing is dangerous in anything. And it is surprised when he doesn't arrive when he's supposed to arrive is the astrophysicist, right? So mm. I like that kind of internal continuity. The one that says, good thinking about the spider, try doing something like that again. That's the zoologist saying that line, Yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, the the performances are terrific. Mm. Uh, Brad Pitt got the Oscar nomination, and he's very good. It's always interesting to revisit this phase in Brad Pitt's career from right before he became a huge movie star, when he was still going out of his way to prove he could act. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, Bruce Willis gives the best performance in the film. Um, you can see how denying him those acting cliches pays off. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another performance in his entire career and I think a lot of it is what you've said a couple times already that he just wasn't given the opportunities but I can't think of another of another performance in his entire career where Bruce Willis plays a character this vulnerable um, I don't know. there are so yeah. many scenes in this film where he seems genuinely afraid or confused or at mm-hmm. the mercy of something at the mercy of circumstance or and how many other actors who are primarily known as taciturn tough guys could have given this performance or even would have like would have wanted to can um, you imagine if nolte got this role i think i think nolte I would have been great i think but nolte, i don't it, think, it would have been very yeah. different i don't think we would have one of the things that's amazing about willis's performance is this is the you're right the amount of vulnerability he has in this he just seems he is being he's at the mercy of everything in the movie everything time the bureaucratic scientists the institution goins yeah a lot of the time he has been drugged up because they think he's a lunatic and the rest of the time he just he he vacillates so wildly from being somebody who's trying to do a thing so that he can get a pardon to realizing things are so much better here right yeah. and that child i mean the the heartbreaking scene of him almost crying listening to god damn i found my thrill on blueberry hill i think yeah. only works because of his performance oh for sure it also helps that madeline stowe is also turning in a really great performance considering the amount of changes her character has to go through through the course of this film without it being hokey, without it being overly romantic, yeah. right? Um, they have enough scenes together where they're talking where you kind of believe it. You kind of well, go, okay. She comes to sympathize with him, and you can mm-hmm. see why, because yeah. of the way he gives the performance. And, like, even, you know, closer to the end, like, that sequence where he pries his teeth out, and then, like, for the next couple scenes, he's he's bleeding. Like, they don't just... It's not just something where he pries his teeth out and then he's fine. I mm-hmm. mean, he's literally dripping blood out of his mouth for the next two or three scenes that he's in (laughs) and you just and you know he's like trying to dab at it with like a cloth or a paper towel and it's covered in blood and you're just watching him going oh my god this poor fucking guy Uh (laughs) you know like i don't think i felt that bad for john mcclain when he had his feet cut up you know what i mean (laughs) like because it's like you watch him in this movie it's like oh my jesus christ this poor fucking guy you know Mm -hmm. and like i said it in 
it's a good performance in its own right. But when you consider it in the context of Willis's career, it is stunning mm-hmm. and unexpected. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, this is like this guy is good and, and mm-hmm. has a much broader range than um, than you would have thought from watching his other work. And not just range, but willingness, you know, like yeah. the, 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 the willingness to to stretch and to try things and to do things that like you would not have expected from him if all you saw was Die Hard and Pulp Fiction and, you know, good performances in good movies, but not nearly this kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So he's, exactly. he's, yeah, so he's, he's tremendous. Um, so there is, there's a lot to like about the movie. Like it is accomplished in so many ways. And, and obviously Terry Gilliam is a master filmmaker. Um, and this is infused with his sensibility from top to bottom. It's weird. It's funny. It's surreal. It's intelligent. And really the, the big drawback to it is something that, I mean, I'm not even sure if you could avoid it, but it's, for, it's, it's, it's that it's broadly speaking it's very predictable um the ending with the shooting at the airport and you know bruce willis's younger self witnessing the death of his older self like that is really relentlessly foreshadowed mm-hmm. and and ultimately you know it happens and that's it <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and and yeah. i mean you do you do get the scene with, on on the airplane with the astrophysicist who is sort of you know she's completing the mission presumably she will get the pure virus uh from the crazy guy and that will complete the mission that way so like you said there, there it, it ends on kind of a hopeful note if you if you look at it that way um, mm-hmm. but in terms of the story of our uh, the story of our protagonist um, you know it's he, it, it, it's 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 very tragic and mm-hmm. we feel for him because I feel for that character and I, I'm you know I would like to have seen him you know be able to escape and have a happy life uh, and the fact that what happens happens, that, that what is predicted is what actually comes to pass, does go with the general theme of the movie, that the past is set in stone and it can't be changed. So the telegraphed ending is, for me at least, dramatically unsatisfying, but it also fits. Mm-hmm. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it fits the movie. So... You know, it's part it, of the story. It's right? part of the story. It's... Yeah, and it's it's so it's it's a lot of really promising build up for kind of an underwhelming payoff, but the build up is so good that even with the underwhelming payoff, I still like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I recommend the movie and when it's over, I find myself wanting more and not more of it, but more from it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, that's kind of how many of us view the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. that's the point. Maybe maybe Gilliam is that much of a genius <laughs> well, he, <laughs> you know it, something drew him to the script he liked yeah. the script a lot yeah um because normally he only directs his own scripts right and so when he got this there was definitely something in there that he that appealed to him as a, as a filmmaker and and i think one of the things that appealed to him is you don't get to escape this right right this is this is set right there's no way around it and everyone I, I, and this is just me everyone kind of the first time watching it you're kind of hoping oh they're going to get away with it or something different's going to happen or something else is going to change nope 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 yeah we've been telling you for an hour and a half that he's going to die at the end of this movie you the tip off should have been when he had a mustache and he was wearing a hawaiian 
Hawaiian shirt. Oh, at that point, and you're in like, the okay. airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're like, locked in. Like, okay, we know how this is going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. But, but anyway, that's, that's all I have to say. I, the, 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 really the only, the only major drawback I have of it is something that I, it's, it's difficult to imagine how it could have been changed <laughs> because it fits in with, you know, the, the, the overall theme of the movie. So there mm-hmm, you go. Mm-hmm. Very highly yeah, recommended, I think. Yeah. I agree with Steve on the performances, the aesthetic. The use of time travel and all of that stuff. Um, I don't. I I like the fact that nothing is explained except for that blurp at the very beginning, right? Where they put up there are seven billion people dead. Everyone lives under the ground. That blurp. But then yeah. they explain it away as an excerpt from an uh, uh, an interview with an insane person, right? Yeah. Which we're assuming is Cole. Yeah, that's what I would assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Oh, that's just from a crazy person. I like the fact that they play around with the idea that maybe Cole is crazy and Mm -hmm. that maybe he's hallucinating the entire thing. It turns out that's not the case, right? Right. But I like the idea that maybe he is and also the fact that maybe he has been the entire time, even though he does come from the future. He's not coming from a great one, right? Right. Time travel fucks up your head, especially with these bozos who may or may not get you to where it is that you need to go, right? They might miss the mark by like 80 years every once in a while. I love the abruptness of the time travel, how mentally you're not prepared. Mm. Even if you just show up someplace, right? And you're not, you don't show up in the middle of a battlefield in, in World War One, but that everything is disorienting and everything kind of scrambles your brain around. And that maybe Cole, who says he has violent tendencies at the beginning, oh, yeah, he does. We get to see that. Oh, they don't boy. Shy o- <laughs> they don't shy away from that point, right? It's, it's, sta- it's kind of established in his character. Um, I love the circular nature of this story. I love how they don't let... It's, it's a Gilliam film. He doesn't make American movies. He's openly said he tries to get away with making European films with American money when he can. Um, and yeah, this is this is a European film, especially with that ending. And he leaves the ending open so you can interpret it in several different ways. You can say, okay, the astrophysicist is there because she's going to kill the virologist and now time is going to go in a different direction and Cole gets to grow up normal and happy. You can look at it that way, right? That this circle has been broken. That the virologist is is, is gonna is gonna die, and that the future doesn't happen. Cole gets to grow up, right? Or you can say, okay, she's just going to get the sample back somehow, and they're going to be able to repair the future. They'll be able to live outside. Things will get better. Hooray, right? Right. Because what she says, she's insurance. So what we literally can take from that is she's insurance that the future doesn't happen. She's insurance that the future does happen, but that they have the the antivirus. Mm -hmm. Or she's the insurance in case Cole, because remember, the scientists are trying to change the timeline at the this point the scientists send jose back and give him a gun and say shoot this guy right right? shooting him will definitely prevent him from being able to send the virus all over the world (laughs) yes so they're actively trying to change the future but everybody everything that happens does one thing it ensures that what what cole saw when he was a kid happens right everything that he saw it's a mixed up your memory is infallible everybody everything that you're remembering in your head you're remembering wrong and the great cruelty of nature 
is that your brain is telling you that that is exactly the way it happened. It ain't. Your brain don't work that way. <laughs> yeah. We're not computers. We don't remember things perfectly. And his dream of this, this event happening changes over time. Um, and so you can look at it as everything that happens happens to get to that end point so that this event occurs. There's a reason why there are circular things throughout the film to indicate you ain't changing this shit. This is an Ouroboros. It's just going to go keep going around and around and around. It's one of those things where we do It's a causality loop, mm-hmm. right? A predestination causality loop. I think is what they call it in Star Trek. Predestination paradox. It's a predestination paradox. And that is kind of what this is. Had John, had Cole never gone back in time to do any of the things, would the 12 monkeys exist? You know, would any of the stuff that occurred occurred if he hadn't inspired Catherine to write that book, which he had inspired bad virologist man (laughs) to to steal viruses from work to kill everybody. Right. Right. It's all of that stuff in a, I'm not terribly disappointed. I like the ending of the movie. And the reason I like the ending of the movie is it was projected. And the movie literally told you, Cole's going to die. And then you get caught up in the characters and you get caught up in the buildup. And then you, oh, look, the 12 monkeys just did some stupid fucking prank letting all the animals out. Oh, okay, great. And they're going to get away. But you don't even stop to think, wait, if even if they go to a remote island, these two characters die from the virus. Right. How are they going to have in, a happy ending? Yeah. In the next in the next two years. Yeah. Right? Because they tell you in 97, 5 million people, 5 billion people dead. Mm-hmm. Right? So even if they got away and they got to this island, they're both dead. Right? Unless they change something. Unless something happens. So even if they got away with it, even if they got on the airplane, even if they we show them on a beach being happy together... In a year, they're dead. <laughs> There's <laughs> no happy ending in this movie. You can pull one together. You can say, well, the future... Oh, my dog's upset about that. He says there is a happy ending. Lily, stop it. Come here. I don't know what she... It's a motorcycle or something. Um, oh, good dog. But that's, what I, but that's one of the things I like about the movie. It doesn't have a typical, you know, a typical Hollywood ending where they would yeah. kind of insist on there being a solid, happy thing to grab onto. They still got that kind of melancholy, well, we warned you from the beginning, but you kept... <laughs> You kept hoping, didn't you? <laughs> Just like the characters kept hoping. Mm-hmm. And they were all, all of them were trapped in this thing. And that's one of the reasons why it has become one of my favorite movies. It is my favorite Bruce Willis film, um, even over Die Hard, simply because he's a, he's so good in this. He is so good. And I just want to bring this up, by the way. In the last year, there were a number of YouTube movie channels that did this whole what's going on with Bruce Willis? Why is he making all of these shitty movies? I bet you wish he hadn't made those fucking videos now, huh, oh, assholes? yeah. Yeah, really. Now that we know what the, the, the deal is. Now we know yeah. that what's going on with him. Yeah. Um, in case you didn't know, he has, uh, I can't remember what it is he has, but he has a, uh, a uh, debilitating and detailed uh, deteriorating um, psychological disorder that he apparently has been struggling with for a little while. Yeah. And lately, Bruce Willis has been making any garbage. And 
I do mean garbage. But he's been doing that so that he can put money in the bank because very soon he's not even going to be able to be making that. Yeah. And there have been plenty of YouTubers out there that are like took all of these awful films that he's been making over the last three years and, and you know, oh, he's lazy. He's not even trying. He's not even doing this. He's given up. He doesn't care. And it turns out, no. Oh, look, he's got an earpiece in his ears because he can't, he doesn't even bother to, to remember his lines. And it turns out he can't remember his lines because of this thing. Yeah. Maybe you should shut up. <laughs> or, and this is just me, issue an apology. Yeah. At some point, right? Because you speculated wildly, you young people, you who don't understand that things happen when you get older, and you just said, oh, they're lazy, he doesn't want to do, and you should shut your fucking mouths. <laughs> Sorry, I went on a tangent there. I it's got okay. Angry it's, YouTube it's, again. it's warranted. <laughs> it's, it's completely warranted. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, I love this movie. Um, it's in my repertoire of things that... Um, that I will continue to go back to, even though I know it's depressing, and even though I know that it's it's uh, that if you take a look at it, it's cyclical. That there is not a ho- hopeful note when you when you close. Now my cats. <laughs> that when you close, you're closing on his eyes, and you know I, I'm glad he didn't have hopefulness in his eyes. Although I know why Gilliam wanted it to be mean, exactly to be cruel. He's got his whole life it's ahead like, of him. Here's here's little Cole, his eyes full of hope, and in two years he's gonna be living underground because everybody he knows is dead, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. This wasn't no fucking Star Trek, and if it was a Star Trek episode, it's one of those episodes where everyone's sad briefly at the end of the episode, and they just quietly, you know, fade out to a shot of the ship as it flies away, and it's like, wait, why is everybody sad at the end of this? Everyone's supposed to be happy. Uh-uh, this isn't it. This is unavoidable stuff that you have to deal with and we don't deal with it until the very end and then we go oh (laughs) and then you can have a nice argument with someone who wants to remain hopeful who says no they changed the future and cole grows up happy and everything's fine and madeline stowe stowe isn't in isn't in a crazy house (laughs) at this point (laughs) she hasn't she hasn't been um when she gets back and and the riddler's up and goes so what happened he said he really was from the future and they don't lock her up and we don't cut to a of her wrapped in plastic drooling all over the floor <laughs> so i like it and i recommend it steve recommend absolutely absolutely yay and now it's time for steve to not recommend a movie say steve yeah what movie are you not gonna recommend oh i couldn't resist i have to not recommend the movie that inspired one of the most famous bad movie reviews of all time <laughs> It also stars Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. It's from a couple years... Actually, it's from the year before 12 Monkeys. It's it's a little movie called North. Oh, boy. It's not good. Um, <laughs> it's about... <laughs> <laughs> It's about this little kid named North, played by Elijah Wood, when he was actually a child and not just a, a grown man who appears to be a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he divorces his parents or emancipates himself from his parents and goes searching for a new family all across the country, all across the world, looking for looking for a new family to that who will appreciate mm-hmm. him and be good parents to him. And it Kathy has, Bates is an Eskimo. Yeah, yeah Kathy Bates is in it as an Eskimo. Yes. Um, 
So it, 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 I mean, and you, you just mentioned uh, Kathy Bates. I'll just go ahead and say it has a, on paper, it has a fantastic cast. Sure. Um, Br- Bruce Willis, Elijah Wood, Jason Alexander, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Alan Arkin, um, mm-hmm. Abe Vigoda, John Ritter. Uh, just an amazing, amazing cast. And also Dan Aykroyd. Uh and, uh, you know, but it's just, and directed by Rob Reiner. So it's like, you know, other than Aykroyd's presence has a fantastic comedic pedigree. And, <laughs> uh, and, and yet it's just Drek. Like it's just, like, I don't know. I've, I think I've only seen it once. I think I saw it back in the day when, after Ebert wrote that review and I was like, oh shit, I gotta see this. Um, <laughs> um and, and there's not like a laugh in it. I mean, no. you know, there's, there's a saying when you're like a, that it, it's airless, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. a great way to describe it. It's, it's airless. Like there's, there's just no life in it at all. There, there are things that seem like they're supposed to be funny, but just aren't. And it's just dire. It's just really, mm-hmm. really fucking dire. And it, this is the review that Ebert wrote. Uh, I, I hate, 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 hated this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's the, it's the movie that broke Roger Ebert where he was like, he was like <laughs> sitting at his typewriter writing the review for the, for the newspaper. And he was just like, fuck. And he just like, he <laughs> slammed that into his typewriter. He just went off on it. Um, and, and gave it zero stars. And the best part about it is if, if you've ever seen the, uh, I think it was uh, the the Comedy Central roast of Rob Reiner. Um, there's a bit where someone hands him Ebert's review of North and asks him uh-huh. to read it out loud, and and he's reading. So Rob Reiner, the director of the film, is, re- is reading this legendarily nasty review of his movie out loud. And there's a point where Reiner pauses and says, "You know, if you read between the lines, it's really not that bad of a review." <laughs> <laughs> so which is way funnier than anything in the actual movie so that is my not recommendation if you if you watch 12 monkeys and you're like boy that bruce willis sure is good don't watch north whatever you do or bonfire the vanities <laughs> oh god or bonfire the vanities yeah that's another one to avoid <laughs> Okay, my turn. As you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as uh, of the movie that we just reviewed. And it's 1995, and I won. Boy, there's some shitty movies. Polly Shore was still making movies. I could have not recommended that one, but I wanted it something that was related to Twelve Monkeys, and so I picked one that has time travel in it. Ooh. And there's nothing better than making a remake of a flop movie from 1979 <laughs> that's based on a novel from Mark Twain, or oh a short story from Mark Twain. The movie that I'm going to tell you guys to avoid at all costs is called A Kid in King Arthur's Court. Mm. Based on the 1979 Disney film, Unidentified Flying Oddball. Never heard of it? There's a reason. Which was based on a Connecticut Yankee in King King Arthur's Arthur's Court. So this is three steps removed from the original source material. Yes, I know. There was one that was called a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court that starred, was it Bing Crosby? I think it was Crosby. Yeah, yeah. Back when people liked him. And... um, The only notable thing about this movie is that it's one of the first movies for Daniel Craig and Kate Winslet. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is on their resumes. (laughs) Don't see it. It's as insipid and stupid as the title. 
which literally tells you kind of what the plot is. There's a kid in King Arthur's court. You know what else I don't like? The fact that both Mark Twain, and I don't think this was intentional on Mark Twain's part, but uh, Mark Twain, the movie from 1979, Unidentified Flying Oddball, and this movie assumes that King Arthur is historic (laughs) and not fantasy. (laughs) That would be that little detail, you know. That would be like if I made a movie called Fat Middle-Aged Man in Middle Earth, like I time-traveled to Middle Earth. (laughs) Which is in the past, as everyone knows. That's right. No, don't see it. It's stupid. I hate it. Don't see it. Hey, I have some announcements. (gasps) Okay. I have some announcements. Announcement number one, and this is going out to all the patrons. You know what? We've ate our fill of being self-indulgent. We got our birthday movies. We got our baseball movies. Well, now it's your turn. This is only for the patrons, so if you're not a patron, become a patron. Become a patron. It's Easy time tips. for it's time for patrons' choice. Ooh. So if you're a patron, go on to Patreon and send me what you would like us to review. Remember, you don't have to follow our stupid dippy rules. So if you want us to review something this year, we can. You don't have to follow the ten year rule, and it could be a good movie, it could be a bad movie. Someone suggested North last year. They can suggest it again, and if it gets selected, we might wind up having to review that movie, but who knows? So, patrons, go to Patreon and send me what movie you would like to review upcoming on this show. Announcement two, we're doing our first ever pledge drive. It's up right now. If you want to, if you guys don't want to join Patreon, and people have been asking, is there a way to do, to to donate money to Let Me Listen without having to join Patreon? I get it. So if you guys want to do a one-time pledge to Let Me Listen, you can find it on our SoundCloud page um, with the links right there. You, you can't click this because this is a podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to go to a web page first. But if you go to our Sound uh, SoundCloud page. There is an announcement there, and then you can click there and make a pledge, and it will help us out because we've been doing this now for eight years, Steve. Yeah, can you believe eight, that? Eight goddamn years. More than a million listens, almost 500 different shows. I think, I think it's actually more than that, but it's somewhere around there. Yeah. We're getting close to 500 individual shows. 13 total shows over these eight years, some limited series, some keep are still going. So if you guys ever said, I don't want to join Patreon, but I would like to support you, then please go to our sound go to our SoundCloud page. It's posted up there. You'll see it. It's Lemmy Listen logo one that says the Lemmy Listen um, pledge drive announcement. And you click on that and then you can go there and do that. And that would help us out. Yay. And now Steve thinks he's off the fucking hook, doesn't he? Does doesn't he? Doesn't he think? I don't know. You may. Hey, Steve. Guess what time it is. Guess what time it is. Is it time for me to make a terrible choice? That's right. It's time for you to make a terrible choice. Uh, For people who don't know about this time, I make Steve choose the next movie that we're going to review. He does not know what the movies are. He has to make a random choice between A, B, or C. And I'll give him one hint. Zombie movies. Ooh, well, how can you go wrong? I was like, I was taking a look at our lineup and it's like, we'll never get to all of the horror movies that we want to do if we keep them all for, for Halloween, right? Right, right. Well, of course. We'll never, we'll never be able to get to all of them. So I'm, I'm doing it here. Zombie movies. Scary zombie movies for June. So, Steve? <laughs> yes. Make your choice. A, B, or C? Hmm. I'm going to say C. Okay. 
Had you selected A, you would have picked the not really a zombie movie, but technically it's a zombie movie, 28 Days Later. Oh. But we don't get to do that one. Damn. Had you chosen B, we would have visited your favorite director and his remake of the movie Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> oh, rats. It's actually a decent movie. It's one of his movies. better movies. Yeah, it's one of his better movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hardly. There's no slow-mo in it at all. I know. The zombies are actually <laughs> quite quick. Maybe he didn't think he could do that with a camera yet. Maybe we should find the cinematographer and said, you know, we can shoot this in slow-mo. And he was like, <laughs> like slow-mo, what? Yeah, what's slow-mo? <laughs> I think we need to send Bruce Willis back in time to stop that cinematographer from telling him that. You can't because the past is set. Oh, that's right. Fuck. Did you learn nothing? I, I, <laughs> I never learned anything because that's set too. <laughs> Oh, okay. But you chose C, yeah. the great grampy of all zombie movies. The black and white classic that made none of the producers money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Despite that became the fact a thing. <laughs> that it is the most famous zombie movie ever made, we're going to review Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. The original, not the remake, that they only remade so that Romero could get some money. Yeah. Literally, because he made nothing off of this. It's in public domain. I'm sure you guys are going to be able to find it just about anywhere. I think there's like five of them on YouTube. Oh, there's a ton so, of different versions up everywhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Thanks, guys, for listening in. Um, for Late Seating, this is Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Happy birthday, Jason. Thank you. And, I... you, know, you know, you know, it makes me think about things, puts things in perspective, you know, my birthday, your birthday, and it just makes me mm-hmm. think, think, you know, wouldn't it be great if I was crazy, then the world would be okay? <laughs> Wait, how does that relate to our birthdays? It really doesn't. I just so wanted to kind of wedge kind it of in there. Crammed together? I just wanted to say happy birthday, and then I wanted to do my little gimmick where I say the line. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm not going to. <laughs> well, at least you didn't attribute it to a family member. No, or this some is. some weird th- thing that you said when you were being in, when you were <laughs> at intake at some mental hospital. I could, I could say, I could do the 12 monkeys thing, and I could say, remember what it's going to say on my tombstone. <laughs> Well, I think that's a wish that everyone has in these times. Oh, wouldn't it be great if I was just crazy and the world wasn't like this at all? It's a very selfless wish. Then I remembered what mental health is like, mental oh. health care is like in the United States. And then you're like, no, nah, I'm glad I'm not crazy. Never mind. I'm glad I'm not crazy. I would just be allowed to wander undiagnosed forever if I didn't have any health care. Although, maybe if you were crazy, then the poor state of mental health care would be a part of the crazy. And in reality, it would actually be much better. And you would get the care that you need. I'm actually institutionalized. And every, every time I get up, all they hear me talk about is how the country is ruined, everything is terrible, <laughs> that Donald Trump... Okay, you know what? Yeah, they'd institutionalize me, definitely. Donald Trump was president for four years. <laughs> <laughs> we need to lock him up. We need to do something about Donald Trump being president. Who's president now? You keep saying was. Oh, Joe Biden. Isn't he like 102? He is, and he's president now. (laughs) It's not my fault who they nominated. It was him or the other guy. He's the president. Senators keep getting arrested for trafficking women. (laughs) 
Okay. Boy, I don't know what he imagines the world is like, but it sounds pretty fucking sucky. I mean, my God. Russia invaded the Ukraine and we did nothing about it. <laughs> it's just another thing in the news now. <laughs> George Lucas made prequels to the Star Wars trilogy. They were all terrible. All right, give me some Thorazine. He's gone too far now. Someone made the Lord of the Rings movie, and they were so they were influential and successful. Okay, okay, all right. He's nerd. getting a lobotomy. Put him, put him under. <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the most popular franchise on Earth. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about those dippy comics that you can buy at the Seven Eleven? Yes, yes, they're a multi-billion-dollar multimedia franchise. A talking tree and a talking raccoon are breakout characters. <laughs> People cried when the tree died. <laughs> okay, let's lobotomize him and cut out his vocal cords. He's upsetting the other patients. You stay <laughs> off of me. I just need to make a phone call. There's no TV anymore. We just watch it on a computer. <laughs> Everybody watches movies on their phones. <laughs> Okay. You mean they just stare at the handset? <laughs> He's insane. No, they're they're flat triangles that you carry around with you. <laughs> you mean they're not even flip phones like in Star Trek? No, we had those, but then we changed them. <laughs> they sucked. They really weren't no that cool. No one talks anymore. We text everything at each other. <laughs> there are no more cab drivers. What? <laughs> Anybody can just give somebody else a ride and they get paid no, for it. There's no newspapers. There's no cab drivers. Your phone can tell you where to go. <laughs> your phone can tell you where did to your, go. Did your phone tell you to come here? I don't know anymore. I mean, it gave me directions to get here. <laughs> we had a black president named Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> All right, move him to the front of the lobotomy line. <laughs> He's going to hurt himself one of these days, talking like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I don't know if that's better or worse. What's that world look like? Yeah, like we're, we're only... No Lord of the Rings, no prequels, no MCU movies, no black presidents. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the key question is, what do we get instead? Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, no, you know, like, no no Star Wars prequels, but what is there instead? <laughs> and like, if, if Barack wasn't president, what does that mean? Did, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, did McCain get elected? What was that like? Right. You know that the lizard people took over five years ago. That's right. Oh, right. Just like, just like in, just like in V, or as we call it, that documentary. That documentary. <laughs> I don't get it. He says we lost the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> like America would ever lose a war. You're safely on your asylum on Mars. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Twilight Zone ending. There's no space exploration. We just send robots, and we have to fight to get the money to do I was that. Say, NASA barely has enough funding to launch a satellite every couple years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now I'm on Mars, lizard people. I would know oh, that's a Sophie's choice. Think about it. You no were. Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah, but space exploration. No MCU movies, but space exploration. That's, yeah. <laughs> But it's all run by uh, lizard people. <laughs> but it's all run by lizard people. Send us more babies and we will continue to rule you. 
Like, well, but we can, but we get to keep the Mars colony, right? That's <laughs> and creepily enough, in association with this movie, there was a fireable outbreak, and no one gave a shit. Yes, exactly. No one would you know, do what they needed. <laughs> I wanted to say that during our, our our synopsis, and I forgot to mention it, that like the What's least re- the least realistic part of this time travel fantasy movie is how seriously everybody seems to have taken the pandemic. Well, it happened so fast. Five billion <laughs> dead in one year? I'm not putting on a mask. <laughs> it literally causes the flesh to fall off your bones. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not getting that vaccine. If, if I want my flesh to fall off, it's my right body autonomy. <laughs> I believe that, except for in one specific (laughs) circumstance. Exactly. Bodily autonomy is an almost absolute right. (laughs) All right, that's it. Now we've depressed ourselves about the present. Happy birthday. I Thanks. (laughs) I wish. I hope I am institutionalized. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.